Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome, one and all. We have power today. We have heat. We have water where it's supposed to be, which is not in the preschool floor. Um, it's a joy to welcome everybody to this worship service today. Thank you for being here. We are grateful for those who rallied last week and preached in different ways and praised and worshiped in different ways while the power was out. But we're back today and we do gather here under the power of the Holy Spirit to praise God and to worship God on this Lord's Day. So welcome one and all. Welcome if you're a visitor today. We're delighted that you're here. We hope everybody feels very much at home here at GPC, and we do invite you all, members and visitors, to sign the friendship pad that's in the aisle, the aisle side of each pew here, the maroon pad, if you would sign that. Mark your attendance with us, and then you can pass it down the road to those who might be with you, and you can greet everybody personally in just a few minutes. And if you do want more information about GPC, if you're a visitor, then one of the ministers will be up front after the service and can tell you a little bit more about the church, or you can mark on the friendship pad that you'd like a call from one of us. And we'd be so happy to meet with you and tell you more about who we are as a church. There are many announcements in your bulletin. I'll just highlight some of the headlines for you, and then you can go back and see the announcements for yourselves. We do want to offer our sympathy and our appreciation for Bob Hicks, who worshiped regularly with us here at GPC, and his memorial service will be here in the sanctuary tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Please do keep Jean Hicks in your prayers. Uh, keep her in your um, heart as she grieves Bob's death. And uh, as you think about attending the service tomorrow, if you are going to come to the service to protect Jean's health, and many of you know she's been undergoing treatments for a while, to protect her health, please wear a mask. She's asked that folks who come to the service wear a mask tomorrow. So please do keep Gene in your prayers. We remember Bob so fondly, and we ask that you uh, come to the worship service tomorrow at 2 in the sanctuary, and then also if you do come to please wear a mask. Friends, please see the headline for uh, the GPC Connect, the newsletter, the uh, bulletin announcement about that. You can see that we've got this great new Parents' Night out on Friday nights, and the next one is coming up this coming Friday night. And you can see in your bulletin how to register for that. You'll also see coming out in the children's ministry emails, as well as the church-wide email, a, a survey about Vacation Bible School. We know that's not just for uh, children and their parents, but a lot of people, so many people in our church volunteer for Vacation Bible School. It's really a great church-wide effort. And so there's a survey that will be coming out in a link, and you can help Blair out as we make some decisions about this year's Vacation Bible School, whether to do it in the morning as usual or do we tweak it to the evenings, some kind of different variation. So please see that survey and fill in that survey if you volunteer with or you participate in VBS, and that will guide Blair and our children's ministry vision team as they make plans for that great summer event. Many people have been inquiring about uh, joining GPC, and so we do have a joining Sunday next Sunday, um, next week, and Amy Phillips's information is in the bulletin, and you can see that there. You can contact her about that if you have questions about what it means to join GPC or how to do that, and I think they'll also be a member of the membership team in the Narthex. If you're visiting with us or you're thinking about joining, then uh, Beth will be in, Beth Willingham will be in the Narthex after this service and can answer any questions you have about the joining uh, weekend next Sunday. So please see them or contact Amy. And our last announcement is another big one. We want to talk about our youth auction, which I know you have circled on your calendar. And so we have two members of our youth group, Andrew Miller and Madison Wilson, who are going to tell us a little bit more about the youth auction coming up in a few weeks. Hello, I'm Andrew Miller. Hi, I'm Madison Wilson, and I'm in junior high. We're both excited about the upcoming youth auction. First of all, if you've never been to a youth auction, it's very fun. You don't have to have a child in youth group to enjoy it. It's a fun event for church members to get together, meet new people, and enjoy our Christian fellowship. The men's breakfast group provides an amazing dinner. Then you can bid on some amazing items. There's silent and live auctions to bid on. 
We have amazing theme baskets, yummy baked goods, restaurant gift cards, salon sessions, trips, and more. There's always something for everyone. We're selling tickets before and after Sunday school in the wor and worship in the North Ex. Or you can buy them online. The link is in the bulletin. You can buy individual tickets or get some friends together and purchase a table. There's also an option for those who don't want to be in a large group. You can come early, place a bid, place a blind bid on any of the items, and take, the meal, take your meal with you. This is a way to get all the fun without the worry. If you want to donate something, we appreciate any new or like new items or gift certificates. You can contact Christopher Greco or Elizabeth Wilson if you need more information. Their contact information is in the bulletin. All of the money we raise goes to offset the cause of youth retreats, mission trips, worship conferences, and youth events. I got to go to Montreal last summer, and it was an amazing experience. I really appreciate all of you who participate in the auction that helped make these trips possible. I will go to my first junior high mission trip this summer. I, I can't wait to travel with my church friends, learn more about serving others, and explore my faith with my church friends. Thank you for so much for supporting us. morning. God is good. God is holy. We are gathered here to worship and to praise our God. Please stand as we join together in our call to worship. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Together, let us confess our need for God's forgiveness. Let us pray. Lord, our God, have mercy on us. 
We are often stubborn, unyielding, and harsh in our sinfulness. Our pride reigns supreme, overcoming our better judgment and undermining our relationships. Humble us, teach us, and forgive us, we pray. Call us into a closer relationship with you so that we may live each day more like Christ, our friend and our Savior. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. God has mercy on us, and God forgives our sins and no longer holds them against us. Let us rejoice in God's goodness. of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As the children come forward, I invite you to greet one another with the peace of Christ. All right, all right. Good morning, friends. How are you today? Good. So I have a question. So have you ever ever had a friend that maybe, like, was mean to you, pushed you around? Yeah? Is that a nice thing to do? No. So, look, I have all these snacks. What if I said, look, I have these, but I'm not going to share them with you? Is that nice? No. What if I say, I'm just going to share with Susie, but I'm not going to share with any of the... No, that's not good either. (laughs) All right, so today we look in our Bibles at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38, where Jesus talks about loving your enemies. So what does it mean to love your enemies? Enemies are people that we may not like or get along with. In today's story, we hear Jesus teach his disciples how to respond to their enemies. The lessons he gives them are very difficult to do and even think about. He tells them to love their enemies. He tells them to not judge their enemies. He tells them to give away their things to the people who are stealing from them. Even though we might have people that are not nice to us at times, we still need to treat them the right way and forgive them because we may not know what they are going through from day to day. Jesus wants us to show them to love because he loves us even when we, are, uh, we don't do right. When people do things to us we think that are unfair or mean, we often want to get back at them. But Jesus offers a different option. Jesus invites us to follow him. And when we choose to follow him, we learn from him how to receive God's love, healing, and mercy. The more love, healing, and mercy we receive, the more of it we have to share with others. Even those who are being unfair or mean to us, like our enemies. And that's the good news for today. So now that we know that we can love and care for each other, and hopefully your parents won't think I'm an enemy, but I'll share my snacks with you at the end. So, after the prayer, yeah. So you ready to pray? Repeat after me. Dear God... Thank you for Jesus, who shows us 
how to pay attention to you instead of to our enemies. Amen.
Let us pray. O giver of amazing grace, we do come before you with love and humility as we approach your word. We pray, O God, that you would shine light into those places in our lives that need light and that need love. Lord, as we read these texts, let us see ourselves in you and let us see ourselves in a new way. May your glory shine through these readings. Amen. There are two readings this morning. One is from the Old Testament. First, we read from Genesis 45. This is the climactic moment in Joseph's life when he reveals himself to his brothers who sold him into slavery years and years and years before this. This is a very dramatic scene in Genesis 45, 1 through 8. And then Joseph could no longer contain himself before all those who stood before him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, because God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land two years, and there are five more years, which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive and many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then we read Luke 6. Jesus is continuing in this uh, sermon on the plain. He has said many powerful and difficult things before this. And then he comes to his hardest teaching of all. But I say to you who will listen, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, then offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them back again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. You should love your enemies. Do good, lend, expecting nothing in return. And then your reward will be great, and then you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure that you get back. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You will hear us frequently here at GPC, often encourage people, uh, invite people, encourage people into different Bible studies, into different scripture studies. And we say this a lot. We do this. One reason um, we do this, we encourage people into some kind of daily or weekly Bible study, is that the Bible will shape you and form you in ways that you can't even imagine. And, And of course, it is the God of the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit working through Scripture to shape your character and to form you. I mean, the Bible is constantly asking you, questions. The Bible is constantly encouraging us to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts, 
and then to examine our relationships. And reading the Bible will do this. It will pull you into a, a kind of place. It will pull you into a spiritual space where God will ask you to look at your own identity. How do you define yourself and who are you? And then God will ask you, how do you relate to other people? Now, the Bible's not the only thing in our world doing this. Our culture does this all sorts of ways, ask people to, to identify themselves and define themselves. Um, people are always viewing themselves or even humanity as a whole through all sorts of different lenses. A lot of people, for example, look at themselves and their lives or look at people as a whole and say, well, aren't we just a blind accident of history? Isn't everything about us determined by random forces that are just beyond our control? Aren't you really just a lucky animal, just a mammal at the top of an evolutionary food chain that operates with no rhyme or reason over the course of millions and billions of years? That's what a lot of people think. It's all random. So why don't you take what you can while you can? People look around at their own lives, especially when they get into middle age, and they say, is this it? Is this it? Is this all? Maybe this is all. Maybe they're all, all there is is this life. And so shouldn't you just eat, drink, and be merry because do whatever you want. Sooner or later, it's just over, right? A lot of people think that way. So Scripture invites you into a different worldview, a different way of seeing yourself, a different way of seeing not just yourself, but other people, a less random outlook on your life. Scripture invites you to consider that underneath and, and all around and through all the movements of, of nature and creation over the long haul, that there is a divine mind at work. There is a good will of a good God that is coursing through all elements of creation. So Scripture invites you to consider that you are not a random accident, but that you were created intentionally. You were created intentionally, and that you and I and everybody is created intentionally, made in the image and the likeness of God. It'll change how you see yourself. It'll change how you see other people. Once you see yourself in relation to this perfect Creator, you feel this blessing on the one hand, and at the same time, you, you almost automatically feel a void. You're blessed, of course, to know that you're not a random accident, but you understand pretty quickly that there is a moral gap between you and the Creator. This gap between you and a perfect God who intentionally made you and you who intentionally make choices that hurt yourself and that hurt others and that separate you from God and others. You find yourself in con conflict with others. And so to know that there is a God who intentionally made you is to be blessed on the one hand and at the same time to understand that now there's a gap. And it is a moral gap. So you keep reading Scripture and you keep going deeper. And then you move into its themes of profound grace and forgiveness. You hear about how God makes a move how God makes the first move to close this moral gap between you and God. There's a great place in the New Testament when you read further that talks about how you are recreated then. You are recreated and God disperses this void. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, a new person. You've been recreated in Christ's image now. Christ's likeness, Christ's heart beats within you. That old self that rebelled against God in sin, that old self is gone and you are a new creation. And then you keep reading some more. You keep studying the Bible some more. You keep going where Scripture leads you. And it will not only help you identify yourself and find your identity in Christ and in God, and then the, the Bible will then ask you about your relationships and all the relationships in which you live. Family, those you are close to, Friends, neighbors, and then even enemies. How do you relate to your enemies? This is what Jesus did every day in his ministry when he encountered people on all those highways and byways. He would meet people and they would come up to him and he would change how they think of, yes, about themselves and who they are. And then you could see the wheels turn. 
And he would be changing how people thought about others and how they viewed other people. For example, one day there were these two brothers and they were fighting over family inheritance. That's not a new thing that happened in Jesus' day. Two brothers fighting. One of them approaches Jesus, probably within earshot of his brother, and he shouts out, Jesus, tell my brother to do what's right. Tell him to do what's fair. And then Jesus, in earshot of both of those brothers, starts teaching about how deadly and how poisonous greed is. Another time, Jesus heals a Gentile woman, and he teaches his disciples a lesson. He teaches his disciples not to think of her as a Gentile, but as a child of God, and that he was sent to heal all people, not just their Jewish people, but all people, everyone. There's a Roman centurion who is a leader of soldiers. He demonstrates incredible faith one day. He comes up to Jesus, asks Jesus to heal one of his servants, and Jesus marvels at his faith and holds this Roman, this soldier, up as an example of great faith. Jesus was just changing how people saw each other and how they saw other people. Do you remember how Jesus' most famous parable starts? It starts, the Good Samaritan does, in response to a question. Somebody asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Who should I treat with neighborly care? To whom do I owe compassion? Reading that parable will cause you to rethink who your neighbors are, and to whom you owe neighborly care. Who should you love as yourself? Read that parable, and it will change what you think about who is a neighbor. Jesus is always surprising people, surprising people every day, changing how they saw others. And then you keep reading, and you arrive at passages like today's. You get to passages like this one, both the Old Testament and the New Testament readings, And if you take them seriously, they will cause you to rethink what an enemy is and who your enemies are and how you should treat them. Love, bless, do good toward, pray for, give to, be generous to people you find odious. That's one of the literal meanings there, the connotations of the word enemy there that Jesus uses. Someone who is foul to you. Someone who repulses you. Someone who makes your skin crawl. Someone who disgusts you. Maybe because what he or she does. Maybe because of what he or she believes. It might be that you're envious of them because of their success. Maybe it's somebody you resent and that resentment leads to anger. And that anger leads to some form of or another, some form, mild or serious form of hatred. How do you think about those people? How do you speak about those people? I don't know if you've ever seen this device. This was shown to me in college a long time ago. It's the Shakespearean insult kit. And it's taken from all the different works of Shakespeare, where you take two of his adjectives in column one and column two, And you couple them with a noun from column three in order to come up with some of the most profound insults in English language history. Such as, you reeky elf-skinned lout. Or you might call someone a churlish, churlish, dizzy-eyed foot-licker. Maybe someone you don't like very much is a goatish, half-faced maggot pie. I could go on. Um, Maybe someone is a reeky, milk-livered measle. Um, all kinds of great... In- These are some of the cleaner ones, by the way. That's how we speak of people that we think of as enemies. I mean, it's kind of funny to read a list like that, except that there is kind of a sick pleasure we get in insulting other people, isn't there? Or thinking about them in those ways. Sometimes we even feed off of disliking people. We find meaning, we find purpose, sinful as it is, we still find purpose in loathing some people who we think are enemies. The problem is, the more you read Scripture, the more you follow God, the more you live with Jesus long enough, then you'll have to deal with those resentments and hatreds and even enemies. And if there's anybody in the Bible who had a perfectly good reason to hate other people, to hate people, not just people, to hate his brothers, it is Joseph. And when you mean hate, I mean loathe, despise, want revenge against, want to hurt 
his own brothers, remember what they did to him. Remember what they did long before chapter 45 in Genesis, how they were envious of him. And so they took him and they threw him to a pit. They were about to kill him when at the last minute one brother intervened. So they didn't kill him, but they sold him off to a caravan going to Egypt. They sold him off as a slave, taken away from his beloved father, taken away from his tribe, his land, made a captive in the mighty empire of Egypt where he was forced into being a servant. And his life becomes this just roller coaster of betrayal and success and then success and then not failure but being falsely accused and put in prison wrongly and forgotten about for years years of his life pass in prison and he shouldn't have been there in the first place i mean can you imagine how much hatred might have been stirring up inside of him i read recently the story of robert dubois and he didn't have to imagine something like that because he lived it for 37 years He was falsely accused of a crime that he didn't commit in the early 1980s, falsely testified against in a shady deal, convicted on shaky evidence. It was a terrible miscarriage of justice and then spent 37 years in a Florida prison unjustly. He was released in 2020 when the Innocence Project worked with DNA analysis, new analysis that proved that he didn't commit that crime. What would your heart be filled with if that was you or your brother or your son? Just that pain and bitterness and anger and rage. I imagine it would be that's what would fill my heart for people that I would quickly identify as enemies. And yet I watched an interview recently with Robert DeWine and what does he talk about in that interview? Would you imagine more than anything else? But faith. And, and yes, there were times when he was angry and there were times when he was confused, times when he was afraid when he was in prison. But he talks about more than that how he maintained his hope. He didn't let, he said, he wouldn't let all the anger and bitterness around him define him. He didn't want to be like everybody else who was full of anger and bitterness. So he maintained faith over that hope and bitterness and he chose not to hate those who put him away. Could you do that? Could you love enemies like that? You see, there's something that happens in the lives of those who trust God, trust God, whether it's Joseph or Robert Dubois, anybody who pulls in deeper and deeper, closer into that sacred space of Scripture, and you allow your character to be framed by Jesus and defined by Scripture, the more you trust God, then the more God will remove anger from your life. The longer you live with Christ and the more you trust Him, the more God will remove hatred from your life and God will change how you see people that you once might count as enemies. God will change how you see them. Love, bless, do good toward, pray for, give to, be generous to people you care about? Absolutely. Family? Yes, most of the time. Friends? Of course. But enemies, be good to those who do not care about you, even those who want to hurt you, those who um, abuse you. Would you give to them? You see, when it comes to enemies, most people respond to insults with insults. We respond to cruelty with cruelty. Most people always want to find ways to get revenge, if not literally, then certainly in their words or definitely in their imaginations. Most people hate their enemies and want harm to come to them. And then here comes Jesus, reminding us that we are different. He does so by reminding us of who God is, and what God's character is like, and who we were to God, and how God treated us. Who were we before we came to faith, before the Spirit came, before grace came? Who were we to God? Well, the New Testament says in a few places that we were enemies. God says Jesus is is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And usually we hear that and we say something like, well, how can God be kind to them? Why would God be compassionate to those ungrateful degenerates? Those wicked people don't deserve anything but judgment and condemnation. And then it starts to dawn on us, and the light bulb goes off. 
that the ungrateful and the wicked aren't them out there that Jesus is talking about, but it's us. We are those who are ungrateful and wicked. We are the ones who have declared ourselves as enemies of God. We're the ones who insult the loving God who made us, and we declare ourselves to be enemies of God, or at least the ways of God. And how does God treat His enemies? Read further in Scripture and you'll see. One place in the New Testament says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. That God makes the first move and reaches out to us. How does God treat you, you who are so estranged and alienated from your Maker? He reached out to you, took the initiative, responded to your sin and antipathy and reaching out to you with love and forgiveness. And then Jesus tells His followers to be merciful toward their enemies, just as God has been merciful to you. So who is your enemy? I really want you to do this. Picture in your mind a face or a name of someone you find offensive. Maybe it's somebody you know personally because they mistreated you in some way or another. Maybe you have an enemy at work who undermines you and spreads rumors about you. Maybe an enemy is not someone you you know personally, but it's a political leader in city or state or even national politics, someone whose face just makes you recoil. Who is an enemy for you? Maybe it's a type of person with different values or no values or terrible values. Maybe someone betrayed you. Maybe someone stole from you. Maybe it's someone from a different region or part of the world. An enemy is anybody that you find offensive, whether you know him or her or not. Who is that person in your mind's eye right now? What would you be willing to do to take Jesus seriously and to love that enemy? If it's someone you know, would you be willing to take the initiative as God did with you and reach out to that person and maybe move toward that person like God did to you? If it's not someone you know, if it's a politician or a type of person, then what would it take for you to resist the fear and loathing that is stirred up in you when you see his or her face? Could you learn more about that person somehow? Could you listen with open ears? Could you hear more about that person before you declare him or her an enemy? It's one of the problems we have right now, and everybody knows this in our social media saturated culture, is that everybody's just talking past each other. Lots of noise and lots of volume and lots of animosity all floating in and around and past each other that we have lost the ability to really listen and to hear other people, hear their stories, to hear their priorities, why they believe the way they do. Could you talk face to face with an enemy? Or at least hear them and take the first step toward loving him or her as Christ calls you to do. It's pretty hard. This is the hardest of Jesus' teachings. And yet it's just as much important as any other place. Love, bless, do good toward, pray for, give to, be generous to people you find odious. And then you'll be called children of God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I invite you all to stand and let us affirm our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We're so grateful over this winter season that Sally Finup has taken on a leadership uh, position with Room in the Inn, which is our ministry to homeless persons in the greater Memphis area. You're probably aware that after a hiatus, we did pick back up again this year, hosting homeless persons from the greater Memphis area in our community room. Uh, we provide on a cold winter night, a hot meal, good company, a warm shower, and a warm place to sleep. Something that perhaps we all take for granted is a gift that we want to give to others as well. And so we have been grateful this year after a, a pause last year that we could again pick up this ministry. And I know many of you have volunteered in this ministry. And we know that there's one more opportunity to serve coming up on Friday, March the 11th. And what we hope for is for new people to sign up to bring a salad or to bring a casserole or to be a, an evening shepherd, or to spend the night, or to drive the van. There's a, a different role for different people with all kinds of, of uh, time and scheduling needs. There's a place for you to serve in room in the inn. And so we are grateful that we could partake, partake and participate in this ministry again this year. And we have one more opportunity, and we thank you for supporting this ministry along with all of our other ministries um, from our missions leadership team. So please do sign up and support this, uh, this effort as we seek to be as hospitable and as caring to all of our neighbors in need. Thank you. You know, all morning, God's been having a conversation with us. And so let's keep that going and enter into a time of prayer. Jesus, we hear your voice and we know it's you because you're not just telling us what we want to hear. You're telling us what we need in the depths of our being. And this morning, as we worship you in warmth, with electricity, with the beauty of the people that surround us on all sides, we cannot help but say, thank you so much. And we hear you. We hear you speaking to us today in a part of our lives that we would prefer you not to go. We prefer you to be the God of the good stuff. The dispenser of blessings. And maybe we'll get to the hard conversations later. And yet we sense that you're calling us deeper not only in friendship with one another as a faith family, but in our devotion to you. And yeah, we, we admit that there are parts of our lives that we have defined ourselves by what we're against, by what we're not, by who we don't want to associate with. And you know that there are many good reasons for that. There's logic there is all kinds of good strategy, and yet at the end of the day, you don't give us a hall pass to not love someone. And so we sit under what you say, this, this law of grace, and we hear in your holy words this command to love. And we got to admit, it, it's... <laughs> That's hard. And our instincts kick in. And we say yes 85% of the time. And then there are those places like what's happening to these people that live in the country of Ukraine. As war is brewing on the horizon nearby. We think about places within our own country maybe that are inhabited by people that we disagree with extremely. 
we think about places within our own community that we would rather not go, or voices that we feel like we cannot listen to. And God, we are wounded people operating out of a woundedness that is out of control. And we are also people that are choosing to do this. That we hear your love urging us beyond ourselves to a place where we are totally dependent on you. And so we beg of you to heal us where we are wounded, to give us your eyes to see all your people. And we don't get to pick and choose who that is, only you do. And we give you our hearts, craving to be larger, to be filled with your own heart. And so we commit to you these prayers and the multitude that are unspoken, that we don't even have the words to form yet, with the words that you've given us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as those who have been defined by Jesus, by his kindness, his goodness, his grace, his friendship, and been blessed to overflowing in ways that we do not deserve. We have the honor and the joy of sharing those blessings with God and with his people. So I invite our ushers now to come forward to receive our tithes and our offerings.
dark veil, I fear no ill. With thee, dear Lord, beside me, thy rod and staff, my comfort still, thy cross before to guide me. Let's turn to God in prayer. Gracious God, we offer you these resources. We know that you will take them and bless them and multiply them and use them to meet the world's needs. We offer you, too, our very lives, and we thank you for the opportunities that you give to us to participate in your life-giving work for the sake of your coming kingdom. Through Christ we offer these prayers, and together we say, Amen.
Christian friends, go now out into the world to love and serve the Lord. Go out to love and serve your neighbors and your enemies as yourself. And as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always. Amen.